Hi, I'm Kina, and this episode is going to be about our biological wiring for protection and connection and what that means and what that looks like. So one of my previous videos was all about the nervous system and the role of the nervous system in regulating emotions and reactions and then talking about how trauma impacts the nervous system. And this is kind of related to that. I'm going to be talking about the brain and different regulatory processes that happen in our brain and bodies that are wired into us as basic instincts and kind of what that looks like um, when it's impacted by trauma. So um, there are <clears throat> there are key differences between reptiles and mammals in our instincts towards connection. I'll start with that. Um, our, our reptilian brain, which is responsible for uh, kind of basic bodily responses and survival instincts um, operates on the same level as like a frog or a lizard pretty much. And if you if you look at like a, a frog's connection with their offspring, it's pretty much non-existent. They lay eggs and they'll either eat the eggs or something else will eat the eggs and there's no sign of emotional distress. <laughs> um, it's kind of like mindless reproduction without any natural instincts towards bonding. But when uh, mammals evolved, that changed because when live birth, when mammals give live birth to their babies, the babies are often born uh, very vulnerable, blind, needing to breastfeed um, to get nutrients and to grow. And so there's this necessity for like bonding and attachment as part of survival once you're a mammal. So the, the reptilian brain was then followed by the limbic system, which was the development of mammalian instincts and reactions. And the limbic system is responsible for a lot of things, including emotional regulation. And the limbic system also includes a part in the brain called the amygdala. The amygdala is like our body's alarm system. It's um, or kind of like the alarm bell. It's there to detect and respond to signs of danger and send out alarm signals that there's a threat present. And then the reptilian brain and limbic system work together to uh, initiate these automatic survival responses for self-protection. So an example would be like fight instinct, freeze instinct, flight instinct. So when those instincts are, uh, are initiated, it's the limbic system and the reptilian brain working together uh, to, towards survival. So we're all wired with these two major sets of instincts for connection and protection. Um, our wiring for connection is part of our mammalian nature. And because of how humans have evolved and the way that our... Oh, fuck, I'm going to start that part over. So as mammals, we're wired to find safety in connection. Initially, usually with our mothers, but then with uh, family pack members, community members, and just other human beings as our lives evolve. When we find partners, when we have kids, you know, all of our relationships are driven partially by an instinctual need for connection and to find a sense of security in attachment and in bonding. So the process of bonding and attachment is a natural aspect of who we are. And um, we are, we are designed to seek connection and to feel safe and comforted when we belong and when we have a sense of like connection and belonging with other people. 
then at the same time, we still have these basic survival instincts and these these self-protective mechanisms um, through the limbic system and reptilian brain trying to keep us alive and protect us from danger. So what happens with trauma is that essentially our alarm system becomes reconstructed. It's like a rewiring of our of our alarm system. So for people who experience complex trauma where they were in a state of terror or fear for like long periods of time or really stressed out for long periods of time, like weren't able to feel safe. Um, what you'll see in those people's brains and bodies is higher levels of stress hormones such as cortisol and hyperactivity in the amygdala. Even way after the threat has passed, the amygdala stays in a sense of, in a state of hypervigilance, um, not able to really detect that the threat has passed because there was such a long period of being constantly in fight or flight and perceiving danger and threats. Um, another thing that I feel like I need to mention is that a lot of times when people think about fight or flight or freeze and these survival instincts, they think about kind of the classic threat to safety, like a bear attack, you know, our physical safety is in danger. And although that definitely can trigger it because of how we are wired, we perceive threats to our emotional safety and our relationships, the same as we perceive threats to our physical safety. So the same parts of the brain become activated when we experience rejection, abandonment, or abuse, um, verbally or emotionally from people that we're attached to as if it was a physical attack. So even if you were never in a life-threatening situation, um, if your emotional security, your emotional safety, and your kind of sense of security and your attachments with others was continually threatened, that is still going to activate those parts of the amygdala and um, still activate those higher levels of stress hormones as if it was a physical threat. So when when we're in this constant state of stress or fear or not having those needs for security met um, and our our brain and body and nervous systems all react to that. Basically, what's going on is these, these natural self-protective instincts are highly activated because they had to be used so consistently and so frequently that it feels like a continual necessity for survival and the body forgets how to relax and feel safe. The amygdala is, I've heard it described as like a faulty car alarm. Like if you've experienced, if you have CPTSD, you might have a faulty car alarm and your amygdala is sending out like danger, danger, danger at very small things that maybe are not actually signs of danger, emotional or physical. Um, Specifically, when we're talking about trauma that occurs in relationships, so attachment trauma and relational trauma, which is the cause of a lot of CPTSD and relational or attachment trauma would be anything like neglect, um, dysfunctional family dynamics, emotional abuse, abandonment, things that occurred in some of your primary relationships continually over a long period of time. What, what happens in that circumstance is that a person's natural instincts towards connection and protection become confused and are, are now clashing with each other because those instincts for connection and attachment and bonding don't go away, but neither do those instincts for survival and self-protection. And now they're at odds with each other because connection, attachment and bonding has not been safe. Um, it's like our two 
primary processes of we want love, we want nurturing, we want connection and meaningful relationships. And then at the same time, anyone with substantial relational trauma or CPTSD can probably tell you that there's so much fear and anxiety and self-defensiveness and um, just distress that kind of comes with connection and bonding and a lot of different like self-protective mechanisms that will show up in relationships because it's like this internal battle between the need to feel safe and protected and the need to feel connected to other people. And those things shouldn't be, shouldn't have to contradict each other, right? Like in an ideal world, you would have had experiences with attachment and bonding that were safe and consistent to the point where your amygdala and your survival instincts were not activated by other people, by connections and relationships. And you were able to kind of experience bonding and attachment as the safety net that it is meant to be. But for a lot of people, that's just not the case. So um, when you have these two internal processes contradicting each other, the process of trying to seek belonging, connection and, and bonding, and the process of trying to avoid abandonment, pain, abuse, rejection, etc., which are all experienced in the brain as like danger, threats to threats to safety that can show up in a lot of different ways. And I think that's why understanding these ideas about connection and protection is such a valuable part of trauma recovery, because most of the things that people struggle with, especially in relationships, um, really come down to these two major needs. And if they're working together or working against each other, the interesting thing where it gets kind of tricky is that at the same time, that self-protective instincts become like hyperactive in traumatic environments. They also are suppressed and shut down because a lot of kids growing up with complex trauma in their environments uh, are not really able, allowed, or taught how to stand up for themselves, protect themselves, or assert themselves and their needs in healthy ways. So there's there's different kinds of self-protection. One of our healthy self-protective instincts, for example, is that if someone is trying to hit us or hurt us, you know, we might have these instinctive reactions of fighting back or running or like whatever it may be. But in a home where you might be punished even more for defending yourself or for doing that, uh, you know, kids might learn to like shut down those self-protective instincts and just kind of like freeze and collapse which is another survival instinct, but certain, um, certain like self-protective skills and traits actually get shut down because either you're not allowed to assert yourself. It's not modeled for you. Like in a less extreme example than physical abuse. Um, if you're in an environment where you're not really allowed to express strong emotions. You're not really supported in expressing anger or asking for what you need. Um, speaking your truth, like just saying, uh, how you feel about something. If you're not in an environment where that is like supported and encouraged, then those are also healthy self-protective instincts that get like shut down, right? Like the, the instincts to just be connected with your own needs and know when to say like, that's not okay with me. If those skills aren't encouraged and responded kindly to, they become underdeveloped. And so a lot of people with CPTSD end up struggling with boundaries and with assertiveness uh, in adult relationships. And 
Boundaries and assertiveness are examples of what I would call empowered self-protection, where you're protecting yourself by asserting yourself and um, creating like boundaries for how you will and will not be treated. And that's a capacity that we have in adulthood, but that we don't really have in childhood. Like for the most part, if you're a kid, you don't really get to set boundaries. You're stuck living there. Like whatever your family situation is, that's your family situation. And so you just kind of have to adapt to it and find ways to survive that are more internalized instead of externalized. So that's why a lot of the self-protective instincts that people develop in traumatic childhoods are not what would be seen as healthy self-protective instincts that adults can use to have healthy relationships, such as boundaries and assertiveness. They're more internalized processes of self-protection that can actually really disrupt healthy relationships in adulthood. So what I, what I mean by that is that in childhood, maybe the only way that you could handle the conflict or the stress or the fighting or the rejection or whatever it is that was happening around you was to just like totally shut down, shut down emotions, shut down your needs and kind of dissociate. And so now that is like a self-protective mechanism that you've learned when you feel stressed or threatened in relationships. But then in adulthood, that turns into like shutting down and collapsing whenever there's conflict, whenever you feel triggered and can be counterproductive to forming healthy adult relationships. So that's why uh, learning healthy self-protective skills is one of the most important parts of healing attachment patterns, because you will not feel safe to connect until you trust yourself to use self-protective skills that you didn't have before. So in these circumstances of childhood that I'm talking about, one of the key themes of CPTSD is helplessness and powerlessness because you did not have power over that situation. And when we look at the trauma reactions that people develop in childhood, it really is a response to that powerlessness and helplessness because you don't have the tools and resources that adults have. You have to figure out what you can do to cope with the stress, the disconnection, the pain, just kind of in your own little bubble, in your own brain, and your own body. And that's where these different uh, trauma reactions stem from. And if you have really highly developed trauma reactions, such as dissociation, fawning, codependency, those sorts of things, but you have very underdeveloped assertiveness and boundary setting and communication skills, communication of your needs, what that ends up looking like in adulthood is, um, not not having the ability to advocate for yourself to form healthy relationships and being much less likely to be able to connect and open up for connection because it doesn't feel safe because you don't have self-protection and boundaries in place. It's like this kind of complicated thing. But basically what I'm saying is that um, in order to feel safe connecting, we have to trust that we're also protected, that we're also safe. And as kids, that wasn't up to you. Um, it was this helpless and powerless feeling. And so if that's a feeling that you carry into adulthood, you feel helpless and powerless in your relationships to advocate for yourself, to protect yourself, or to make sure that you are in the safe and healthy environment that you deserve, that feeling of helplessness you know, is likely a, a continuation of childhood feelings of helplessness combined with lacking the skills needed to change those patterns in your adulthood. Let's look at the case of avoidant attachment. So people who are avoidantly attached 
or have avoided attachment pat patterns tend to feel um, very attached to their independence and the security that they feel from self-sufficiency and self-reliance. And they have fears of becoming uh, enmeshed. And a lot of people with avoidant attachment patterns had childhood experiences of being controlled or having very um, boundaryless relationships, like enmeshed parental relationships. And they did not have the power to set boundaries. They didn't have the power to say, like, no, I'm not going to talk to you about that. No, I'm not willing to be put in this position of responsibility. Um, that's just the condition of childhood. So because they didn't learn those skills and they're trying to protect themselves from having like an enmeshed controlling relationship where they lose themselves and they lose their freedom and they lose their power, right? Instead of that turning into, well, I still want connection and love. So I'm just going to make sure that I have really good, strong boundaries. And I, pr I basically provide myself the protection that I need, um, which allows me to then like open up for connection. The way that they protect themselves is by avoiding connection. So it's kind of like the avoidant attachment style is a way of trying to avoid the enmeshment and whatever like bad experiences that they had with relationships in the past. They're trying to avoid that with avoiding the relationship. But maybe what's missing there is the knowledge that they could get, you know, enjoy the connection and support of a close and open relationship and that that doesn't ever have to happen to them again because you're not a kid anymore if anyone ever tries to get you to compromise who you are compromise your boundaries um sacrifice who you are and your core values for a relationship you can say no you can leave so until someone develops those those missing skills and that confidence to set boundaries and to be assertive their self-protectiveness, which is healthy self-protection, right? Those are healthy self-protective skills. That self-protection is just going to come out in this pattern that they learned of like avoiding closeness and pushing people away. That's one example. So I think the goal with recovery in CPTSD is to recalibrate our instincts for connection and protection and learn healthy adult self-protective instincts that aren't rooted in a feeling of helplessness or powerlessness. So that way our self-protection can be conscious and intentional and healthy instead of reactive and automatic. So those automatic reactive self-protective mechanisms of fawning, freezing, dissociating, disconnecting, you know, anger, um, clinginess, like whatever those different patterns may be, those self-protective automatic reactions can be slowly replaced with instead conscious and um, newly developed adult patterns of assertive and empowered self-protection. You may have learned that connection wasn't safe while you were also in an environment in an environment where you did not have the personal power to protect yourself and seek healthy relationships. And that is what gets to change in adulthood and in CPTSD recovery. So if you struggle with your desire for connection, if you are avoidantly attached or anxiously attached or any sort of like insecure attachment patterns where you struggle with wanting love, wanting connection and wanting nurture, but also feeling very scared of being hurt or being controlled or ending up in some sort of a pattern, painful pattern that is familiar to you. And you see that manifesting in these different 
um, what are sometimes called like self-sabotaging behaviors in relationships, I think it can be really helpful to understand like those aren't actually self-sabotaging behaviors. They are self-protective behaviors. And it's what happens when your two major biological processes of seeking safety and seeking connection are in conflict with one another. So you didn't have someone protecting you and ensuring that your connections were safe and healthy when you were a kid. But the whole idea of reparenting yourself and healing in CPTSD is to provide yourself with the kind of protection and nurture and consistency that you were missing before. And the more you provide yourself with the kind of protection and safety that you need, the safer you will feel to then open up and like form meaningful connections and have healthy relationships. So the two go hand in hand. And I think instead of like, you know, people really struggle with these conflicting feelings of wanting connection and wanting protection. And I think it can be really helpful to understand that those two processes and those two instincts are natural and healthy and wired into us. And the trauma just kind of like scrambled it a little bit. And that's, that's what can be worked on in adulthood and in CPTSD recovery is reconnecting with those natural instincts and getting out of your automatic responses and creating new patterns and new pathways for connection and protection. And to be able to get what you deserved back then, which was to feel safe and connected at the same time and to not have your relationships and your attachments be such a fearful and unstable experience. And that's what everyone deserves. And that's, what a lot of people didn't get that like causes these, these issues later in life. So when you learn boundaries and assertiveness, it's helpful in so many ways, because not only are you much more likely to not get into unhealthy relationships, because when you start setting boundaries and asserting yourself, people who benefit from you not setting boundaries tend to react pretty poorly. And it helps kind of uh, define and understand which of your relationships are healthy and will encourage your like growth and healing and which relationships might be repeating unhealthy patterns. Um, so setting boundaries and becoming assertive kind of has a natural positive impact on finding healthier relationship patterns. But what it also does is that like every time you set a boundary, you assert yourself, you ask for what you need, or you recognize a limit for how you are willing to be treated or how you want to feel in your relationships and you stand up for that limit it's an expression of this healthy self-protection that you were missing before. And you're basically becoming for yourself that kind of protective and supportive role that you might have been missing before. So you're letting yourself know, like every time you set a boundary or you assert yourself or you ask for what you need or you take that kind of risk and show up for yourself by protecting yourself, it creates an environment of like safety where your inner child can kind of be like, Oh, okay. So I can like open up to people and connect with people and get to know people. And if anything bad happens or if things start to get weird or I don't feel safe anymore, I'm going to protect myself and step in. And it's that knowledge and that trust in yourself that you're going to step in. You know what your limits are. You know what you, you are and you are not willing to accept that trust in yourself to be able to step in and set those boundaries is what then creates this like relaxation and safety that was previously missing where you're like, Oh, okay, now I can actually relax and like connect with people and get to know people because it doesn't feel powerless anymore. It doesn't feel like as soon as I get attached to someone or I get bonded 
to someone, what happens is completely outside of my control. And I'm just going to get like ripped around in an an emotional tornado and hope that I get, you know, spit out in one piece. Um, That feeling of like fear and helplessness in a relationship is a really core sign of CPTSD. So that's why I'm really big on um, learning assertiveness and boundary setting patterns and like healthy self-protective patterns while also working on vulnerability and authenticity and asking for the support you need and relearning how to like connect with others because they really, really like go together. And, um, depending on your reactions, like some people will have one instinct that's overdeveloped and one instinct that's underdeveloped. So someone might have very strong instincts for connection, um, and kind of seek the safety and connection above all else and above self-protection. So that I would say is really common in what we would call anxious attachments or codependency patterns, which is that the safety and security of being connected and bonded with someone else is such high priority that it it is prioritized over any other kind of like self-protective instincts. And those people get really good at shutting down their own needs and um, feelings and reactions to try to just maintain that attachment above all else. And then kind of on the other side is what I talked about before, like avoidant attachments where the safety of not like no one being able to hurt you is very high priority. And that's like prioritized over the needs for connection. So no matter what your circumstances are, like we all have different relationships with these things, with these processes. Um, A lot of us have like weirdly mixed and confusing instincts for connection and protection. Uh, Disorganized attachment styles are like a big jumbled mess of protective and connective instincts. But it really helped me to know that like these things that I struggled with that made me feel crazy are really natural biological processes that just kind of got disorganized from complex trauma. And thankfully our brains have neuroplasticity and we are able to learn new, learn new patterns and rewire the way that we approach the world around us. And if you did not have the ability to both connect with other people and protect yourself in childhood, you can learn how to do it in adulthood. And that is the path towards earning secure attachment. It's also a big part of regulating our brain and nervous system functions. So we don't have like a faulty car alarm amygdala telling us we're about to die all the time. Um, yeah, if you've, if you've ever wondered why heartbreak or being rejected or abandoned can feel like you're literally going to die. It's because our brain basically reacts like we could. (laughs) We take emotional threats very seriously. And our society and culture might not validate the seriousness of those threats to our emotional safety and our attachments, but our bodies do. Our bodies know that attachments and connections are an incredibly important network for safety and security for our species, um, for mammals, for humans. And when that is lost, the impacts are felt for years and years and years in so many different ways. So it's just a really helpful framework. Um, You might have heard kind of the simplified sentence before that we are wired for connection, but trauma wires us for protection. And I would say it's maybe not that simple. Maybe it's more that we're wired for connection and protection and trauma just crosses those wires (laughs) and makes it uh, makes it a lot more distressing than it needs to be. So
that's why I've said in the past that for anxious and avoidantly attached people, we, we really all have more in common than we do differently, even though it can manifest in such different ways. Anxious and avoidant attachment styles are both kind of examples of not knowing how to feel safe and connected at the same time. Um, bonding does not feel safe. And it's just kind of different ways of handling it. Just different ways of trying to like mitigate that sense of danger and get those connection needs met and different priorities. But for anyone with CPTSD, healing is going to involve some sort of recalibration of the internal alarm system and of our self-protective instincts, along with our ability to connect meaningfully with other human beings. I think this is a really important part of that is being able to recognize what your self-protective reactions are, um, where they came from, and learning new self-protective mechanisms so self-protection no longer has to get in the way of connection and you can kind of find a way to experience both and feel just empowered in your right to have both because they're these necessary and natural components of being alive and being mammals. And I think one of the really great things about understanding our instincts is that it kind of creates appreciation for our primal intelligence and our body's intelligence. And this is what I've met in the past when I say that like your body is always trying to protect you and is always on your side. Even these very unpleasant and confusing self-protective reactions are our body's ways of trying to protect us from pain and suffering while also seeking out our needs for bonding and attachment. And so having like a recognition and appreciation for our body's capacity and our body's natural intelligence and instincts, I think can create a lot more self-compassion, self-awareness, and hopefully lead to a sense of partnership where you're working with your body, with your nervous system and with your instincts to create healthier patterns and rewire your brain towards the safety and connection that you need. We have all the necessary components for feeling safe and connected and alive built into us. And it just takes work to undo the damage that trauma does to those natural systems. But they're still there. And learning about them and learning how to work with them can be an incredibly helpful tool in recovery. All right, that's all for today. Hope it was helpful.